So one month ago, uh, right now, um, it was in Nicaragua, as I've mentioned before. And, um, you know, one of the, th this time when I was down there, um, there's always a lot to think about. There's a lot that you see. But um, one of the things that's really weird for me is to think of, <laughs> to think of myself, uh, you go down there and you to think of yourself as a missionary because you don't, you know, I don't know, missionary is what other people are. Um, never feels like what I am. But you're technically, they think of you as a missionary when you're down there. And I, I, had, I had some time to think a little bit about that and to think about, I thought a lot about Jesus. Um, and I don't know that we always think of Jesus as a missionary, but he really fit all the, you know, the classical definition of a missionary. He went from one place to another place to bring the gospel. Uh, but it was a much bigger deal for him. I mean, I get on a plane and um, go down to Central America, but he went from heaven <laughs> all the way down here. It was, a pretty, it was a pretty big commitment. He had to pack a big suitcase for that, you know. He, um, he came down from heaven where there is no sin to this, this messed up cesspool. He, uh, he came down and he lived in a body like ours and all of its limitations and its issues and all that. He, he, he entered into our culture you know, he didn't live in a bubble. He lived in our culture. He rubbed up against all the sinful stuff in this world. He went from a place where he was worshipped to a place where he was often rejected. Uh, went from the presence of angels to the presence of sinners. Uh, it, was a, it was a big commitment, but he came down here because he was on a mission. And his mission was to seek and to save. He did not come down here to separate, uh, to keep his distance from people, to hang out in a holy huddle his whole life. He came down to seek, and he came down to save, and he came down to get into the messiness of life. God has called those of us who have placed our faith in Christ to make that our same mission. Um, and sometimes we're not sure how that, what does that mean for us uh, to be, say, missionaries. Uh, to get you thinking this morning about the text, I want to show you a, a quick video clip from someone who struggled with this. I guess it started one morning. I was sitting in church, uh, just a regular Sunday morning, and um, the pastor was talking about missions and long-term and commitment and all of these kinds of things and I guess normally that would that would impact me a little bit but this time it was it was different somehow it was like God was pounding on my chest and I just got this huge smile on my face and I was ready I just started looking at my life and asking myself what would it look like for me to be on mission all the time and devote my life to that and become a missionary, I guess. I remember growing up in church that missionaries would come visit. I was just always captivated by their stories and I knew that there was a, a world that was so much bigger than my backyard and that there were people in that world who needed to hear about Jesus. And I just, I've always wanted to get out there and have the ability to, to tell people about Jesus and see that transform lives. I just kept hearing the same words, planting seeds, nurture, water, tend, person by person, life by life. Don't wait. You're ready. Just go. 
felt like I was kind of waiting around, like, is this something that God would call me into? And, and when would that happen? Where would I go? What would it look like? And then all of a sudden, it was like this lightning bolt, like, there it is. There it is. It's, I mean, it seemed almost obvious. Yeah, just uh, gotta put this in there. Thanks. You wanna grab the top? Alright. My name is Bradley Martin, and I am answering God's call to go. And I am a missionary. Yeah, so that's either like good news or not good news for you. Um, because a lot of times we think of missionaries as being other people somehow that God has called to go to a far off land. But in fact, in, in John chapter 17, um, and you, I don't know if I've told you, there are three other gospels, by the way, um, besides Luke. Right? So there's Matthew and Mark and, and John. This is one of the other gospels. It's not Luke, but it's John. It's a pretty good gospel. And uh, Jesus is praying for his followers. And he, he gives a very interesting part of his prayer here. He says, he's praying to the Father. He says, to the Father, as you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them, that is, other believers, into the world. In other words, it's the same way that God sent Jesus into the world with a mission. God has sent you and I into the world with a mission as well. And um, sometimes it involves going across the world. Sometimes it involves going to Central America. But really, most of the time, it involves going across the street. Or it involves, uh, you know, going across the room. Um, it involves uh, talking with someone sitting next to you at school. It involves going to another cubicle at work. But God has called every one of us to go. And wherever we go, to go in the same way that Jesus went into the world. Why do we do it? Because we believe that Jesus is God. Because we believe that mankind has a problem. It's called sin. It's headed towards judgment. And everyone needs Jesus. So today I want to talk about three principles for missionaries. And the good news is, it applies to you. Because every one of us, if we know Christ, are missionaries. So I want to talk about that today. And, and three principles that maybe are a little different than you're used to hearing. But they come from this story that we're going to look at today. And the first one is this. Missionaries are those who seek the unlikely. Missionaries seek unlikely people to follow Jesus Christ. And chapter 5, verse 27 is where we pick up uh, the gospel of Luke. It says, after this, so the after this here is that Jesus has been traveling around teaching. Uh, he's been working miracles. He's been drawing large crowds of people um, from all over. We talked about him getting away into seclusion for a while, right, from the madness of the crowds and just being connected with the Father. Uh, comes back. Last week he heals a paralytic. He forgives sin. Uh, that's kind of the after this. So after this he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi. Now he saw this tax collector because he was looking for this tax collector. And he was sitting at his tax booth and Jesus said to uh, Levi, he said, follow me. And leaving everything, Levi rose and followed Jesus. So 
Jesus goes out and he sees a tax collector. And it's not coincidence because he's, he's looking for him. And one of the things I want you to notice here is that Jesus is not, he's not in church. He's not in the synagogue. He's not at the temple. He's not in a holy huddle with other Christians. He's, he's outside the sacred walls, if you will. He's out there. He's where, he's where missionaries go. They, go. they go into the world. They go where people are who need Jesus. And, and in this story, he's pursuing a guy named Levi. Well, we know him usually as Matthew. Uh, he ends up being one of the 12, one of the 12 disciples, writes one of the gospels. So um, this little encounter is actually extremely significant. Now we're told that Levi is a tax collector. A little hard for us to understand because it wouldn't be the same as, say, being an IRS agent today. It's a, it's a little bit different. So let me explain to you how it's different. His job was to collect taxes and tolls for the Roman government. So Levi is a Jew and he's living in, in Israel. All right, a nation of Jews who had been independent uh, for many years but who had been conquered uh, actually by several countries over the years but at this point they've been, they've been conquered by the Roman Empire. And so now they've been kind of um, enveloped into the Roman Empire and one of the things Rome wants from those that they, ca that they capture and those that they oppress is they want money. They want, they want taxes. I don't know. Governments want that kind of stuff. So how does the Roman government get its money? Well, what they found was they could send Roman soldiers around to collect money but oftentimes that just caused more trouble than it was worth. So they practiced something called tax farming. And tax farming worked like this. You would go into an area that you had conquered and you would divide it up into taxable districts and then you would auction off uh, those taxable districts to the highest bidder. Um, so oftentimes what would happen is uh, in Israel Jews who apparently loved money more than they loved their fellow countrymen they would bid on a taxable area on a district and if you won the bid then your job was Rome would say we need you to collect such and such amount of money for the year and you need to bring that to us. Now if, if you were overseeing this taxable district you wouldn't just want the money that Rome wanted you'd want your investment back because it cost you money to have that, that taxable district. And then you might want an income. You might, right? Like maybe you want a home to live in and you want food on the table. Right? Maybe you want uh, more than that, which most tax collectors did. So what you would do is you, anything you collected above what Rome wanted was yours. Right? So the world was your oyster, so to speak. As long as there wasn't an uprising, um, you could collect as much as you wanted. So now, there were some things that were set in stone, like Rome had set a poll tax. That was just a, a tax you paid annually per person in your household. And that was set by Rome and a tax collector couldn't, uh, couldn't collect any more than that. There was an income tax, Maybe you've heard of that. Uh, federal tax, uh, a land tax, property taxes uh, coming up, by the way. Uh, so there's a land tax, and those are all set. You can't mess with any of that stuff. But then there was a whole set of taxes that it was up to the discretion of the tax collector to decide how much they wanted. So there was a transport transport of goods tax. So you notice that um, Levi set up his tax booth out on a major road and so you know people would be coming by with their carts of goods and he would pull them over and then he would tax them and he could pretty much tax them whatever he thought he could get away with and so you know maybe maybe he needed to make a payment on his RV you know how much is that and he'd need to collect that this week or maybe he needed a new uh, a pickup truck or something like that you know so he could tax whatever he wanted. They, they would tax you for using roads, tax you for using 
using bridges, tax you if you, if you were a fisherman, which is a big source of income there, he could just tax you per fish. And it could be uh, more tomorrow than it was today, depending on how much he needed. And, be, and so he's getting rich. He's living in a huge house. And he's really doing this on the backs of all of his fellow Jews. And he's despised. They, they absolutely hate tax collectors because the tax collectors are getting rich while everyone else is getting poor. It's hard for us to understand how this works. Like imagine for instance that, um, I don't know, so imagine that Canada comes down and conquers the United, they, they get their hockey sticks and they come down here and they conquer the United States, right? They like take us over and then they're going to tax up, you know, the, they're going to do some farm taxing and uh, so they divide it up and like there's the taxable area in, in Washougal. So we're going to tax Washougal, right? We've got to get as much money as we can. So let's, let's just say, uh, let's say Harley bids, uh, sorry Harley, Harley bids on, um, he's like, he sees a good thing, right? He makes some money. And uh, so he bids on Washougal and he gets it, gets the job. And so they're like, okay, Harley, here's how much we need from you, from all your fellow Americans, right, this year to pay to Canada. So we, yeah, wherever they want to do with it, up in Quebec or whatever. So, you know, you need to collect this money, Harley. And then if you want your money back, you're going to have to tax them some more and then if, you know, I don't know, Harley, maybe you want a new truck, you know, she, yeah, bigger house, granite, do you have granite in your house? Do you, you need granite. So you got to get granite in your house or, you know, that kind of, so let's say Harley's just, he's, you know, so he, he wants to have a good life. So after a while, like Harvey's got the, Harley's got this huge house and he's got a couple of pickup trucks. You got to have a backup and, you know, things are going pretty well for him. But, but a lot of us, you know, we're like afraid to drive down E Street because Harley's got a big booth there and you never know, he might have to make a payment on his truck today. And so, you know, pretty much we, we don't like Harley because Harley's rich. He's, he's living big. So we don't, here's what you do. We don't let Harley come to church because we don't like Harley, right? He wasn't allowed to come to church. Tax, tax collectors were not allowed to go into synagogues. They were not allowed to go into temples. They were not invited. You did not invite them to your party. If you were a, if you were a um, friend of a tax collector, then you were ostracized just like they were. Um, in fact, tax collectors couldn't even do jury duty. They couldn't serve. Uh, they couldn't testify in court because they were considered um, liars who were incapable of speaking the truth. It's not Harley, by the way. Okay, so I'm sorry. Just picking on you, Harley. But Jesus does something absolutely unexpected. He's walking down the street and he initiates a relationship with Levi. This, this lost soul who's not looking for God, who's just sitting in his tax booth, getting rich, a traitor, and he's okay with it. He, apparently he made his choice. He's a spiritual delinquent. And Jesus sees, I mean now think about it. Think about all the people that Jesus passed that day who were at least trying, <laughs> they're at least trying to be decent people. Jesus walks by them. He finds Levi and he invites Levi to start following him. In fact, what he's going to invite Levi to do is repent. Uh, technically that's exactly what's happening. He comes to Levi and he says, hey you should follow me. Now the word repent just simply means to change your mind and to change your life. So what Jesus walks along and says, hey, you've been going in that direction. You've been loving money, serving money. You should follow me. To do that, you'll have to do a U-turn and go in the other direction. And, and so Jesus does this really unexpected thing of, of um, connect, trying to connect with Levi. But if what Jesus did was unexpected, what Levi does is even more unexpected because he does it. He leaves everything and follows Jesus. Now you can just read it. You know, maybe you've read this story before and it doesn't even, you know, you're like, oh, well, 
I would have done the same thing. But see, here's the thing. It, Jesus is going to call some other people to follow him like fishermen. Now, when Jesus calls a fisherman to follow him, if they ever want to go back to their old job, they can. Levi will never be able to go back to his old job. When he gets up and walks away from his job, he's not giving a 30-day notice, all right? You know, he's not like grooming somebody to succeed him. He just gets up, does a mic drop, and walks away. He's just, he's gone. And so, you know, it's no big deal. They're going to replace him. They're just never going to let him come back and do that again. He walks away from his career. He walks away from his paycheck, from his financial security, from his self-identity, from his chosen life. I wonder how many of us would do that, just like that. Jesus comes along, come follow me. See, the religious leaders had written Levi off. And I think that we need to beware of giving up on people that God hasn't given up on yet. On shunning people that God, God is still seeking. That we decide I'm not going to invest in someone anymore. I'm not going to reach out to someone anymore. Because I've just decided somehow that they're beyond reaching. We need to be careful about that. I mean, Levi seems like the, humanly speaking, the least, the least acceptable candidate to be a disciple. And yet Jesus chooses him. We should be careful about writing off people that God hasn't written off. Jesus chooses him and he responds. That's what missionaries do. They seek the unlikely people. And here's the second thing that Jesus does and missionaries do. They don't, they don't just stay private with their faith. They go, they go public. They go social with their faith. I mean, following Jesus is, is a private thing, right? Because it's something just between you and God. You can't, your, your mom and dad can't accept Christ for you. Your pastor can't do it for you. Your, your girlfriend can't do it for you. Only you can do that. Only you can place your faith in Christ. But once you give your life to Christ... You become part of a family, a, a community of, of people, a community of relationships. And I love how this plays out in Levi's life. Watch, watch how this goes. Levi's just been following Jesus like not months, not weeks, but just hours. He's been following Jesus and he decides to throw a big party for Jesus. And so Levi made uh, for Jesus a great feast in his house. So there's going to be lots of food and drinks. And, and, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. So Jesus is going to go to this big party that Levi is throwing for him. And that means Levi's going to have to do so. He's going to have to open his front doors and, you know, let people in. So he's going to clean his house. He's going to, you know, pay for all the food and the drinks. And it was probably, says it was a big feast. There were a lot of people there. So it's going to cost him a lot of money. Uh, we know usually back then you'd hire entertainment. You'd even buy gifts, party gifts, you know, for people who came to have, like nice gifts, right? And so he's going to do, he's going to invest all this money and then he does an interesting thing. He invites Jesus and some of his dudes and then he invites all his tax collector and sinner friends. And he, so to me this is interesting because a lot of times as Christians if we're going to have a party at our house we might invite our Christian friends or we might invite our non-Christian friends but rarely do we invite them all together because who knows right who knows what would happen if you put them all in a room together and so but Jesus just and you know, he comes and the and the tax collectors it, Levi's just I'm gonna invite all these people and why would he do that because he wants them that he's met Jesus he's like just loves Jesus he wants all of his friends to meet Jesus as well so he's you know he's thinking like I haven't had an evangelism class yet. I'm not sure how to present the four spiritual laws. I know Billy Graham, but if I just got them all in a room together, who knows what might happen? You know, I'll just, I'll provide the food and, you know, let's see what God can do. Now, 
He's just doing what the Bible calls hospitality. Maybe you've heard of that. The, the, the Bible says that those who follow God or love God should practice hospitality. Um, that means that we just look for ways to use our home or our apartment or our humble abode, whatever that would be. We look for ways to use it to build relationships with other people. Now, it's really different than the way a lot of people live. A lot of people think of their home as their castle. <laughs> so, you know, castle with a moat and a drawbridge, right? So, you know, I come home from work and I put up the drawbridge because I've had a, I had to work with people all day long. I just want to be, so and I'm going to put up the drawbridge and the moat keeps everyone away. Just stay away. I'm the king of my castle. Uh, but the Bible says we don't do that. We use our home. We open the doors of our home. We use it to build relationships and community and we want to use our home to bless other people. And, and to demonstrate God's love and his generosity. And this can be a challenge uh, for some of us. Some of you are just, you know, you're naturally that way. You love to open up your home, but a lot of Americans don't. A lot of Americans, they, they like the castle and, and they want to protect their home and protect their privacy, right? I just want to be alone for a while. I have to be around people all the time. I want to protect our time and you know, I want to get caught up on my TV shows. And, but hospitality means that we might have to, you know, we're going to have to open the front doors. It might not always be convenient. People might not always show up at the most convenient times. It means that you're going to have to be willing to let your people see your home when it's less than perfect. Right? Sometimes people say, well, we'd, we'd have people over, but you know, our our, our furniture's kind of old. We don't, have, we don't have granite like Harley does in the kitchen, you know, and, and uh, we, we don't have that addition. And, and then people might come over and we don't really have really good food. And, uh, you know, they might not take their shoes off and then they're going to get my carpet dirty and, you know, they're going to spill things and there's all that. And, and yeah, 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 all that is a possibility, right? All that is a possibility. And, and that's what we do. Why? Because we love people more than we love our home and our carpet. It's hard for me to say that, but we do. We love them more than that, right? And the, the Bible says that it's good for God's people to live in fellowship, to live in community. In your home, your apartment, your dwelling is, is a gift that God's given you, a way to share God's love with other people. So for instance, we've told you this before, but it's one of the reasons we have grow groups at Gateway. Um, you know, we have grow groups at our church because um, what we do here is, is biblical. You know, we had people here last night, people here earlier. It's a great opportunity to worship and, and you know, get some good coffee and to get some time in the Word. And our kids are, are hearing the Word right now as well. And this is great, but you're not going to have any, you're not going to build meaningful, long-lasting relationships in the... And, Nobody comes early, so that's not when it's going to happen. And you know, when, you're, when it's done, you got to get the lost dose before it's packed out, right? Because there's only two of them in town. So you got you to get out of here, right? And so a lot of times there's not really great, meaningful relationships. But we need them. We need those relationships. So grow groups are places where small groups of people meet together in homes on a regular basis. And it's kind of the same group each week. And you get to know each other. And you pray for each other and support each other. It's where fellowship takes place. And, and where where we do life together. And sometimes it's hard. And, and maybe for some of you, um, you're in a season where it's been easy. My wife and I have been a part of many grow groups over the years. We've, everyone has been different and we've absolutely loved everyone. We found ourselves um, a little while back in a, in a phase of life where we divided our grow group. And uh, suddenly we, and somehow we got left out. We weren't in a grow group at all, you know. So, uh, but we were so busy. 
between my job and, and, my, and our family and my wife's responsibilities. And one day we sat down, you know, we're like, we're not even in a grow group right now. We should be in a grow group. Not because I'm, I'm the senior pastor, but because um, we needed it. It's good for us. And so we sat down and we looked at our calendar. What night could we be in a grow group? And we couldn't find a night because literally, and some of you know this, every night there was something going on. And so we kind of prayed about it and thought about it. And finally we decided, you know, the only way we're going to really get in a grow group and, and and um, not have a way out is, we'll just have to host it at our home, right? So we'll just pick a night. Doesn't matter because they're all busy. So we'll just pick any night, pick the Thursday night, start inviting some people. And I tell you, it's a great thing because if you do it and you have it at your house, then you can't get out of it because you could be like, I don't want to go to grow group tonight. But when they're knocking on your door and wondering what you're serving for dinner, you're kind of stuck, you know? So we decided we're doing it at our house and, and that's a great thing. And we, of course, no surprise, we love our grow group. And somehow we've always managed to find time for our group. God has made us to live in community. And a little advice for you, if you're not in a group right now, I would encourage you to stop thinking about it and just do it, all right? I don't give that advice a lot, like you should think about things, but sometimes you just need to do things. And if you're not in a group, you just need to stop thinking about it and just get in a group. You can talk to Matthias or Ken or Bill or myself, and we could, we could help you with that. Maybe you, maybe you should host a group in your home like my wife and I do. That's just a great way to make it happen. Um, right now at Gateway, we have more people who want to be in grow groups than we have homes to have people in grow groups. And so we really need some homes. You might consider leading one, having it in your home. You might be in a grow group right now and maybe God's kind of saying, you know what, it's time for you to step out and start a grow group. I know you love your group. I know you've been in there for a while, but maybe it's time for you to just really love some other people by opening up your home. And if that's you, just, you can show up at six o'clock tonight. Um, we're gonna have some leader training and you don't even have to sign up. Just told Matthias, I told you it was okay. And you can come and find out more about that. Now, having said all that, um, that's not what's going on in the text. So sorry about that. I just had to talk about grow groups. But here's what Levi's doing. He's inviting just Jesus and some of his disciples and some of his non-Christian friends. And he's bringing them all together in his home because many Christians find evangelism intimidating. Yeah, I've, most people I know don't want to knock on the doors of strangers and, and you know, share the gospel. Um, most of you don't, you, you're just not comfortable doing that. But here's a great thing. Um, you could open your home and you could invite the people that you know that aren't Christians, uh, neighbors, people go to school with, people you work with. Just come over and feed them. Feed them, love them, invest in them, and see what God does. You, could, you can do that. You don't, you don't have to set up a pulpit in the middle of your living room and after dinner preach a three-point sermon. You don't have to do that. You can, just, you can just love them and you can feed them and spend time with them. Some of you have friends uh, that don't know Christ and they're not coming in this building anytime in the near future. They're pretty sure this is a cult and we're going to jump them when they come in. You know? So they're not coming in here. But they would come to your home for dinner. They would come just to hang out with you for a while, play a game, watch a movie. And, and gateway strategy for mission is this. First of all, we gather together. It's kind of what we're doing now. Worship, pray, uh, study the word. We gather, but then we scatter. Right? We scatter at, into our homes and, and we take the gospel into our neighborhoods. We take the gospel into our schools and to our places of work. Sometimes we take it beyond the boundaries of our community of Clark County. Sometimes we, we scatter to different parts of the world. But we are missionaries. And I would suggest two things. First of all, 
We should be a missionary like Levi. Levi is a guy who opens his home for the purpose of investing in the lives of other people, of unbelievers, to give love and time and food. And I would just really encourage you to think about how you might do that, how you might open your home to be able to show the love of God to some other people like Levi did. And the second thing is, we need to be a missionary like Jesus. Because Jesus was this guy who went to those parties. See, I, and a lot of times as Christians, we think it's our job to avoid those parties. And when people at work invite us or people at school invite us, and we're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't do that. But Jesus, Jesus went there. I mean, Jesus taught in the synagogues, right? In, in holy places. And he would, tart, he would teach large gatherings of people, but he also went to homes. He also went to the parties of, of tax gatherers and he, he ate with them and he hung out with them and he partied and invested in relationships. And as his followers, I would suggest we need to do the same thing. We, we take the, our faith, we take it in the gospel, we take it social, we take it into public. And then here's the third thing. Good missionaries aim for life change. They, they have a goal. They have something in mind. In verse 30 it says this. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at Jesus' disciples. And they said, why do, you, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? So here's an interesting thing. They don't complain to Jesus. <laughs> they complain to his disciples, you know. They're like, what's up with, with, with Jesus going to these parties and hanging out with sinners? Now, so, so Jesus pursues Levi. Levi follows Jesus. Levi has a party with all of his, you know, whack job friends and tax collectors and spiritual outsiders, people who drink and, and you know, there's probably, you know, prostitutes there. We know Jesus went to parties with prostitutes and maybe potheads and druggies and, you know, all, and all these people who are together and people that you wouldn't see at a church, but they would come, <laughs> they would come to party. Uh, so the Pharisees hear about it, you know, they're, they're not there. The Pharisees didn't go to the party, heaven forbid. They, they would never go to a party with unbelievers. Their job was to stay as far away from sinners as possible. Like they'd, they'd never go, but they heard about it, right? So they go to Jesus' disciples and they're like, you know, what is, what is Jesus smoking? <laughs> Why in the world would he go to a party put on by a tax collector? Folks, just a little advice here. Beware of anyone who thinks they're holier than Jesus. You know? I mean, that's just never a good sign. So, again, the scribes and the Pharisees, we talked about that, these guys, last week. They were introduced to us in the Gospel of Luke last week, but just by way of review. You have your scribes. These are professional theologians of the day. Um, they are, these are highly educated men in the Old Testament. They're kind of Old Testament geeks for God. They would memorize not verses or chapters of the Old Testament. They would memorize entire books of the Old Testament. And their job was to, was to study the Old Testament, interpret the Old Testament, and come up with rules, right? They come up with rules for people, and they would, they would write books, and they would open schools, if you will. They're kind of like, you know, geek for God, rock stars, if you will, of the, of the religious world back then. And then there was a group of people called Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were not professional um, you know, spiritual leaders. Uh, they had regular jobs out there with everyone else. Uh, they were not 
educated like scribes where they were lay leaders. And so they would form these groups of Pharisees geographically and then everyone would have a scribe who kind of oversaw the group and the scribe would read the Old Testament, interpret it, come up with a bunch of rules and then the Pharisees were kind of like the God squad. They were like the enforcers. They'd go out in the neighborhoods and make sure everybody was obeying the rules of, of their Pharisees, which we're going we're gonna to get into in detail in the weeks to come because they had a lot of really strange rules. But the mission of the Pharisees and the scribes was simply to please God. They're, they're, they wanted to please God by avoiding anything that was unholy. So they avoided unholy people and they avoided unholy situations because they really believed that if they avoided things that were unholy, that that would make, that God would be pleased by that and God would be like, oh yeah, you, you know, and he would welcome them into his kingdom because they didn't soil themselves with, with, with all the stuff that's in the world. Now contrast that to Jesus' mission. Jesus' mission was to glorify God by seeking unholy people. So instead of avoiding them, he, would, he sought them. And, and he would connect with them. And he would love them and share the gospel with them. Now on this day, that means as a missionary, Jesus is going to a party. That's what he does as a missionary at the house of a tax gatherer of ungodly Levi. And Levi's the guy who's re rejected by religious society. And yet Jesus picks him, I'll say it again, he picks him to be a disciple. He picks someone no one else would have ever picked to be on his team. The religious leaders, they're completely offended by this, right? They're, they're, they don't understand why Jesus would do this. So they're grumbling, right? They're not at the party. They're, they're, maybe they're across the street, you know, looking through the blinds with binoculars. You know, oh, look, I think I see Jesus. Oh he's, he's, oh, he's sitting at a table with sinners. Oh, there's something in his glass. I can't tell, you know, what it is. Somebody, can you see what that is? They're, they're not there. They're not helping. They're not trying to love people. They're just, they just want to judge Jesus
I'm so unlovely. I continue to make mistakes. I continue to be unworthy. And Jesus would say, yes, absolutely. Never forget that. Sinners saved by the grace of God. That's you and that's me. Jesus eats and drinks with sinners. He drew a lot of criticism for that. Accused of being a a glutton. Accused of being a drunk. Jesus doesn't let it get him off task. He continues to seek sketchy people, right? Because that's what missionaries like Jesus do. They find sinners. They love them. They reach out to them. They share the gospel with them. Jesus paints a picture because the Pharisees, they can't understand why he would do this. In verse 31, he says this. Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus doesn't deny that they're sinners, right? I mean, he, he's like sitting there. He's, he doesn't try to minimize their sin. He doesn't try to excuse their sin. He doesn't blame it on their mom and dad or society or, you know, difficult circumstances. In fact, I picture, you know, there, Jesus sits back and goes, I know, look at them. <laughs> they're pathetic. They're such a mess. They're, I mean, just look at them. You know, you might be up in heaven right now looking at us going, look at those guys. <laughs> they're such a gateway. They're such a mess, Right? But the question, the question Jesus has is, what are we going to do about it, right? Are we just going to, are we going to just keep our distance? Are we just going to judge them? Are we going to avoid them? Are we going to just hang out in our holy huddle? Or are we going to go to them? Are we going to seek them? Are we going to do life with them and eat with them and go to their parties and invite them to ours? So Jesus has an analogy. He goes, I'm like a doctor and they're like sick people, which is actually true. I mean, think about it this way. If you saw a doctor who spent all day with sick people, would you be like, what's wrong with that doctor? Right? Like, no, you'd be like, that's what doctors do. Doctors don't hang out on the golf course all day, right? Doctors hang out with sick. A good doctor hangs out with sick people. A good doctor listens to them and, and tries to help them. That's, that's what a good doctor does. They help the sick. That's what Jesus does. That's why he hangs out with sick people. Because he came to bring healing to sick people. In fact, you got to love Jesus as a doctor. Great doctor, all right? First of all, he goes to the people who are so sick, they don't even know they're sick. They wouldn't even think of seeing a doctor, right? So he goes to them. He makes house calls. He's like, hey, uh, you know, I'm here. You're really sick. I am? Yeah, you're really sick. All right, you're a sinner. Let me explain that to you. And then here's the cool thing. Jesus is like, hey, and I paid for your treatment. Like, there's not even a copay. <laughs> I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to pay. By the way, man, your treatment was really expensive. Cost me my whole life. But the good news is, I paid for it. And now I'm bringing you some good news. I can heal you. I can cleanse you. I can make you brand new. You'd be like, why would you do that for me? Jesus would say, exactly. <laughs> I don't, it doesn't make sense. But I'm doing it because I love you. Because I created you. You're created in my image. I came to save you. I came to bring you good news. So, what are sinners to do in response to all this? Well, sinners are to repent. That's what sinners do. Uh, we could think about repentance this way. It's just, uh, I got it in your notes. And I mean, just basically repentance, the word in the Greek simply means to change your way of thinking, which in mind will change the way you live, right? If you truly change your thinking, you'll change the way you live. I put it this way. It's to acknowledge your sin. That's where it starts, right? If you don't acknowledge your sin, you can't repent. So you call your sin what it is. You call it sin. It's sin. Not making excuses for it, Calling it what God calls it. It's sin. And that right, right there alone, I, we get a lot of pushback in our culture. Right? We don't like that. But this is, this is what 
This is what repentance is. You acknowledge your sin and then you change the direction of your life from chasing after sin to following Jesus. That's all it is. And you do it by faith because you can't do it in your own power. You can only follow Christ through faith. So you trust in him. He saves you by his grace and he grows you by his grace and you follow him through the power of his grace. This is all Levi is doing. Jesus reaches out to him and Levi responds to the gift of God. Changes the direction of his life. Turns away from sin. Begins to follow Jesus. And immediately, and I love this, immediately he becomes a missionary because he wants his friends to meet Jesus. I love what Jesus says. I I have not come to call the righteous. Here's, here's, how the, here's how the religious leaders would have heard what he said. And then I'll tell you what he really meant. They would have heard this. Jesus said, the reason that I have come is not to call you beautiful, incredibly intelligent, holy men. I've come to save all those wretched sinners over there, right? That's what they would have heard. Like, obviously, you deserve God, right? You, you're obviously great people, but those losers over there, I came to seek them. That's what they would have heard. It's not what Jesus meant. What the Bible says is no one is righteous. Not one. No one. We are all sinners. Every one of us were sick. Every one of us needed the great physician. What Jesus is trying, he's a little, he's being a little sarcastic here. <laughs> what he's trying to say is, see those, those wretched sinners over there? <laughs> That's you. The only difference is you're not willing to admit what they're willing. They're willing to admit that they're wretched and need a savior. You're not. So who's more of a sinner, them or you? Jesus says, everyone, everyone is separated from God because of their sin. None are righteous. We're all sinners apart from the grace of God through faith in Christ. So don't be a Pharisee, all right? I already said that last year. It's not last, last week. Don't be a Pharisee. They thought they were different. They thought they were better. They thought they had earned God's approval. They didn't think they needed grace, but they needed the great physician just as much as anyone ever has. So this... This whole Jesus being a missionary is, is a thing we're going to kind of carry on for weeks to come. But for now, I want to close with three questions, and they're not in your notes. Um, but three things I want you to think about this week. You might write them down unless you just have a great memory. The first one is this. Um, who have you given up on? Is it possible that you had, maybe it was someone you prayed for, someone you invested in, someone you, you tried to love, and maybe there was never a point in your life where you said, you know, I officially giveth up on you. I'm <laughs> casting you aside. But you don't pray for them anymore. You don't really seek after them anymore. You really consider them a lost cause. Who have you given up on? Who is it that maybe God has strategically, he, they live next door to you or, or you know, they work next to you or, or they work out next to you. God's put them in your life to reach them, but you've written them off. God hasn't written them off but you have. Who is it maybe that you've given up on that you need to put back on that list of people you pray for and you seek after and you invest in? That's just a, just a question for you. Here's the second one. Where do you need to go? So maybe there's some place you've been avoiding. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's somebody you work with. Maybe it's uh, somebody you sit next to at school. But there's some place you need to go. You know, it might be across the street. 
It might be, it might be to Nicaragua. Some of you said, you know, I really feel that tug. Where, where's God calling you to go right now? I just, I would encourage you. It, some of you already, so I've had some people this weekend go, I already know the answer to that. Like, I already know who I gave up on. Yeah, feel bad about that. Like, don't feel bad. Just move on. Just begin to pray and invest in them. And I've had some people say, I know where I need to go. I don't want to go there. I wish it wasn't one of the questions, but I know where it is. And for some of you, maybe you're not sure. So take it to God. God would be happy to tell you <laughs> where you need to go. And here's the third one. Who do, who do you need to invite? So God's given you a place to live. God's given you, a, you know, an abode as, as humble as it is. Who do you need to invite into your home so that you can share the love of God with them? Just give them some food. Just give them some fellowship. Just love them and give God a chance to work in their life. Who have you given up on? Where do you need to go? Who do you need to invite? Um, now, just imagine for a minute, if you will. And I don't know if you can. But I'm thinking... You know, we had a full house in here last night. We had a group of people here this morning. I'm just trying to imagine if all of us this week decided that we were going to engage in these three things, that we were going to put somebody back on the list that's been off that list, that we're going to go somewhere that we need to go so that we can, we can share the gospel and that we're going to open up our home to invite some people in so that we can love them. What would it look like if, if all of us in, our, in this church decided that we were going to do that? And I think we, do, we can't even imagine what it would look like. What it would look like this week, what it would look like next week in this church, what it could do to our community. And here's the good news. That's God's vision for us. That's God's passion for us. The Je just as Jesus came to seek and to save and to love, he's not done doing that. How does he do that today? He does it through us. Let's pray together.